Welcome to my podcast series, Audio Journeys with Donna Fox Tours. I am a tour guide based in the historic Armagh city beside Alan Maka, the ancient capital of Ulster. On these journeys over the airwaves, we will be in conversation with personalities from the visual and performing arts, broadcasters, tour guides, chefs, farmers, and even astronomers. We will uncover the personal journeys and stories of our guests who hail from Armagh and further afield. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm in conversation with Raymond O'Kearan, Director of Education at Gail Lynn and a great promoter of bilingualism. We talk about his books, his work, his hobbies, Caminos and of course travel. Jay Dutch Raymond, Kijay Martati. Tame Gamai Donna. So it's lovely to be here at Inakwaka and uh, you and I have known each other for a number of years, Raymond, and thanks for taking the time to have a wee chat with me today. So uh, I just I know that you're a fluent Irish speaker and a great promoter of the language. So tell me a wee bit about your childhood. Did you have a love of the language from an early age and how old were you when you started to speak Irish? Well, I think that the Irish language has definitely increased in uh, how often you hear it and how often it's used and just generally speaking there's far more happening with regard to the Irish language than there was when I was a young boy growing up in Cross McGlen and the first time that I uh, heard of Irish uh, we used to do it with uh, Mrs. Cassidy in primary school, and we had a book called Be a Glaeu, and she would uh, take out the book and uh, we would study that. And then we also had the opportunity to go to uh, Irish classes. I think they were during the summer with a lovely lady called Gronya Clark in uh, St. Joseph's Secondary School in Cross McGlen. And the first class I ever went to, I remember there was a, a young boy came in and he had a black eye. And uh, so the first word that I learned in Irish was the word for black eye or the term for black eye, and that is sul <laughs> and uh, thankfully, I haven't had to use it too oh, often uh, since. Uh, but no, no, my 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 father uh, was fluent in Irish, as were many people of his generation who did uh, junior Irish and senior Irish, probably to the the same standard, if not higher than O level or A level or GCSE and AS and A level. So uh, I, 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 I really got into Irish in a big way after I went to the Gaeltacht oh, yeah. when, yeah, when I was about 13 as a very small uh, boy. I got the bus in Dundalk and spent three weeks in College of Rija Rana Farsja up in Donegal. And I came back to the Abbey Grammar and I without any great effort of my on my own behalf went from being one of the 
worst in the class to being one of the best in the class due to exposure to the language. Mm-hmm. So there's a lesson there. If you want to improve your Irish, uh, go to where the language is spoken. It's the same with French. If you want to improve your French, go to France uh, or other places where French is spoken. So that's how I really uh, got uh, inspired uh, to continue on the journey of uh, the Irish language. Well, I was never lucky enough to go to the Gale Talk, Raymond, but I've heard so many great stories from people who did go and as well as learning the language, you know, they were really immersing themselves into the culture and making so many friends as well. And I mean, three weeks away from home as a young teenager wouldn't be easy either, but um, everybody speaks so highly of it. And I think it's a shame over the last... um, what 18, 20 months that young people have been robbed of that opportunity but hopefully it'll come back again and they'll be able to go back. It should do because the Gale Talk Colleges are uh, being offered for a century now and uh, they haven't really changed over that time which is a large block of time and we all hope that they don't change you go you do classes in the morning you go home for lunch uh, then you do singing and dancing in the afternoon and then sports and then a Kaylee or some such uh, event at night time and you stay with a banatee and as you say Donna you make friends some of whom you will be friends with for life. And it all happens uh, with uh, the background or in an Irish language context. So it's a fantastic way uh, to learn Irish. So I always say that you learn a language or you learn Irish at school, but you fall in love with the language when you go to the Gale Talk. Yeah, I can understand that. I know at uh, the year before my A-levels, at 17, I had the opportunity of going to France to work as an au pair for two months. And most of my class did as well. Now, I'm not saying it was a bed of roses. It definitely wasn't. And the first week I was there, I said to myself, I've been learning French for six years and I have no idea what these people are talking about. But gradually... Over the two months, every every week made a difference. And before I left, I was actually starting to dream in French as well. So, but it was it was it was great for reinforcing the language and just starting to love the culture as well. And I know Raymond that you are a strong supporter of bilingualism. And like myself, you're of the opinion that more needs to be done within the education sector and beyond to promote the learning of all languages. Have you found bilingualism has enriched your life and those within your circle of friends and family? Absolutely. And there are many, many benefits to bilingualism. There are uh, scientifically proven health benefits uh, put simply when you uh, learn an additional language you you seem to uh, spark up extra uh, channels in in your brain that were almost uh, dormant uh, before that and I think we are pre-programmed to speak not just an additional language, but to speak many languages. 
And we've often heard it said that uh, we don't use the full capacity of our brain power. Certainly bilingualism is wonderful. I like to think of it as having another window on the world. And so if you learn a third language, well, you have a third window on the world. But in our own context here on the island of Ireland, if you know the Irish language, well, you know a whole lot more about uh, the place names of which there are 60,000 plus, 98% or so coming from the Irish language and more about surnames and our, our ancient uh, um, mythology. And if, if you get good at the Irish language, well, then you have access to a whole host of uh, documents that will help you understand uh, your history far more. And to go back to what you were saying, Donna, about more needing to be done in the promotion of languages in our education setting. There's no doubt about that. I have a memory which, you know, these things are not always uh, 100% accurate, but I have a feeling that when I was at uh, secondary school, the best students seemed to do languages and the really fantastic scholars did three languages. And now it seems that uh, languages are in some way um, not promoted uh, the way they were. For example, you don't have to do a, a, a language now, another language in primary school. You don't have to do a, a second language as far as GCSE. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame because really uh, languages are skills and uh, we certainly need to be able to uh, to to respect other cultures mm -hmm. like yeah. French, like Spanish, and even our own culture here uh, with uh, respect for the Irish language. So sadly, with the promotion of STEM, subjects, right. the, the hard sciences, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're all in favour of uh, the promotion of STEM subjects for boys and girls, but not to the detriment of, uh, of languages or the more arts-based uh, subjects like music uh, and art itself. So we, we need a balance. We need a better yeah, balance. Do. And uh, I, I would like to see uh, more boys and girls uh, becoming excited about languages at primary school. And then the likelihood is that more of them will uh, gravitate towards languages at secondary school. As it stands at the moment, uh, there, there, there are fewer and fewer. Certainly are. Yeah, and is, it's, it's sad. sad. I, I really think it's sad. And I remember a few years ago, Raymond, you organised 
uh, Dr. Bach, was he came and spoke to uh, in the Charlemagne Arms and Armagh about the benefits of language learning at any age. I know the younger you start, it's fantastic if you can start as young as you can. But he also spoke about people learning it in later years and it warding off dementia for example and he was a fascinating speaker I mean he's he's a wonderful person a wonderful promoter of um, bilingualism and, and more languages I think maybe he was able to speak four or five languages at least yeah absolutely and and more uh, and so he really is uh, multilingual and you're right Donna he he provided uh, very uh, identifiable scientific research, peer-reviewed uh, material that backed up his claim that uh, if people learn another language, well, it doesn't cure some of the uh, problems uh, that affect the brain in later life but as you say it staves off the onset of uh, of of issues like uh, alzheimer's uh, and and that's good news so as well as all the social benefits of attending a class and uh, you know that that sense of well-being you get when you're improving your own apprehension of the world around you by learning uh, an additional an additional language but on top of all that there are identifiable proven health benefits mm-hmm. and, and that is a good news story so that can uh, occur at any time uh, but the big message is that you know we all should have a more open mind to learning uh, an additional language. I think we're too lazy in our uh, outlook. We expect everywhere we go in the world that they will revert to our language in in many cases English and we demand that uh, people uh, understand English but we shouldn't really. Uh, we should be prepared to meet people halfway, and we we should be a more multilingual uh, society. And uh, in our own context here, the benefits from uh, being bilingual are are just wonderful. Even if you just take the social benefits of attending. Irish classes, for example, going to the Gale Talked, uh, appreciating more fully uh, music from the uh, Irish canon and reading and poetry. So there are many, many benefits. And uh, it's certainly the Irish language has given me and members of my family and members of my community and my friends far, far more than we'll ever uh, contribute to the Irish language. And, and if it can be fun, it's great. It's, it's more motivating uh, rather than being really grammar fo- focused because that's sometimes what, pe- what puts people off if it's too grammar focused. You, you do need the grammar, but it's all about speaking it and even if you make mistakes 
just try and speak it anyway? There are problems for sure about the the perception people have about Irish and going back a couple of decades, yes, it would have been taught uh, almost like uh, a mathematical formula where you learned your words and your verbs and uh, had to commit them to memory. But I think now it's it, teaching languages is more about uh, helping people to communicate and enjoy the language and gradually uh, improve uh, their communicative skills in their target language. I'm always impressed by uh, very uh, well-paid uh, international soccer managers who arrive to take up uh, a, a club uh, that's doing very very well and at the start they seem to be having difficulties mm-hmm. getting their message across in English but they're able to get their message across and you know we don't have to be completely fluent to the highest level it's enough to be able to uh, to communicate and to uh, to access the riches that the Irish language or the French language or Spanish offers. Mm-hmm. No, I just love languages, I really do. Um, I took up German when I was at university. I hadn't had the opportunity to do German at school, but I was able to do it for three years, basic German. But um, I've probably forgotten most of it now. But we trip to Germany might be nice sometime to revive it. And the same with Spanish. So um, no, it's it's great fun. Yeah. Do you know something, Donna? When uh, I'm learning Spanish at the moment and I'm using Duolingo and it's wonderful. But occasionally I find myself uh, trying to dredge up the Spanish I know to speak to somebody, and it's a wee bit difficult but when I was on the Camino and Spanish was all around me and I was in the natural environment where Spanish is spoken I've just found that it came to the surface much more readily and it was much more natural uh, even though I, I probably know more Spanish now uh, when you're in the country and when it's natural and and, and if you want to uh, put your order in in Spanish and you just it comes more readily than here's somebody who's Spanish and oh you know and uh, I did a little bit of German myself at uh, university and like that uh, I I had recently met somebody from Germany and I was able to dredge up the simple phrases in German and it really really makes that person feel that you respect them and their country and their culture even though it's just maybe a a few sentences it it is a you're meeting people halfway you know and and again it's saying in a very real way that not everybody else in the world has 
to uh, to speak only English to us. You know that we have a um, we're not just uh, monoglots, English speaking monoglots, and everybody else has to come down to our level. We're 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 prepared to stretch towards other languages the way the speakers of those other languages in other countries do to us. Well, I know as well. At the time we got married, we had French, German and Spanish people at the wedding. So I kept getting my German and my Spanish mixed up, even though the two aren't similar at all. You'd think I'd be mixing up the Spanish and the French, but I don't know, maybe it's because I know less of German and, you know, a lot less of Spanish and German. I was getting those mixed up. It was quite funny, but a few years ago we were on holiday and we met a Canadian man. He was chatting to us at the hotel. And I thought his mother tongue was English. And it turned out, as we were speaking, he was French-speaking Canadian. And he learned all his English in the last few years in on Netflix. So uh, I, we have been watching some uh, programmes in Spanish on Netflix. And I'm reading the subtitles. And it is improving. My, it's helping my Spanish come back again. But he was... His level of English was unbelievable. That was just through Netflix. Well, there you go. Yeah, there are some people uh, find the strangest ways to uh, improve their language skills. And it seems that uh, once you learn a second language, well, then the third language is easier and the fourth language. It's uh, it's a wee bit like uh, once you learn to ride one bike, well, then you can try different uh, bicycles and it seems to work. So, Well, you yourself, Raymond, you've, you've spent over 20 years working with Gail Lynn promoting the Irish language. So what have been the highlights for you during that time in your work? I have been... Uh, far more highlights than lowlights and uh, I don't think anything comes close to the sense of exhilaration when we as a community and Galen was very much involved in this when we after a 10 year odyssey managed to build the culture land in the ancient heart of Armagh City in the Shambles area where we're sitting today and it was uh, a wonderful, wonderful journey. Sometimes there were uh, two steps forward and three steps back. Other times, you know, uh, the, 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 the road ahead was cleared by other people, helpers. And we now have a state-of-the-art cultural and art centre here in Armagh owned by the community. And already, even though there are many restrictions at the moment, already we have had some wonderful, wonderful events. And it really is uh, inspiring others to increase their connection with the language. So definitely uh, the construction and opening of Eanach Waha has been the highlight for sure. Oh, that's brilliant, Raymond. Well, I know myself, if I'm driving 
up towards Inakwaka. Um, just to see it all led up and dancing taking place or language pla- language classes taking place. There's a real buzz. It's brought a real, so much more life into this part of, of Armagh and it's fantastic to see it. It's a beautiful building as well. I mean, you and I are sitting here having a chat or just looking out those lovely big glass windows to you know a busy Friday afternoon here in Armagh and it's, it's just fantastic I'm just so glad just were able to achieve that dream because uh, I remember this building when it was the the old fire station and uh, it's great that this location is now being used with so much uh, for so much benefit to the community as well yeah and there are things you 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 reminded me of the dancing you know we have uh, jive classes here uh, we have uh, set dancing classes and we hadn't necessarily we also have irish dancing for uh, younger children we have uh, people using our recording studio we had a cd a single launch all a whole host of uh, events we have uh, five tenants here in office space we have a conference suite on the top floor we have the roof garden we have the theater the views views over both cathedrals from the roof garden are spectacular well and, and you know something right until the last couple of months it could have uh, been halted due to the lack of uh, money but uh, let's not uh, worry about that now because we got it over the line and as you say uh, Donna it's a beautiful architecturally it's a beautiful building with which maximizes natural light it's a very striking modern building the the use of space is just amazing and inside the building there's complete connectivity because okay Donna you spoke about looking out on the shambles area of Belfast on the Friday afternoon traffic or on the little roundabout but if we look the other way you can almost depending on which way you cock your head you can see nearly everywhere else in the building and what's going on so you can if, 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 if I if I thought you were coming to visit me Donna I could keep a wee eye out mm-hmm. for you and I could also maybe see somebody down there having a cup of coffee and say oh there's herself or there's her himself and pop down so that's also a wonderful aspect of Ianachwaha the connectivity inside and the striking beauty of the architecture the modern architecture from outside and it's wonderful at night sometimes I drive past here specifically just to see the building rather even though it would be quicker for me to go mm-hmm. home a different way so yes it has given this area a lift uh, economically culturally and linguistically for sure but it's really risen the spirits of the people because it's 
their building. It's, it doesn't belong to any outside organisation. It doesn't belong to any small group of individuals. It belongs to the community of uh, Armagh. But there are some responsibilities that come with that because it will be up to the people, the community in Armagh to make sure that it is a success. And it looks as though it will be a success because it's already a success in trying difficult, uh, challenging times. I mean, I remember being at the opening event on the 6th of March 2020 and I think a week later I had to close for many months so so good to see it open again I think we're really really lucky to have this on our doorstep Raymond for sure uh, I want to ask you a wee bit about your books uh, Raymond so you can correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong Lech na Lechra is that the I would give you 10 out of 10 for that <laughs> pronunciation Donna and um, Holland, Ulster's greatest hero what inspired you to write the books well they do say if you want to read a book and you can't seem to find it readily you might have to write that book <laughs> and before I wrote the first modern Irish version of what I wanted to be a biography of Cúhollán it didn't exist uh, there were you'd have to go to a lot of different uh, texts and you might have to know uh, Middle Irish or, or, or possibly uh, Old Irish to fully access them and yes there were versions that come came close to what, what I wanted but they're definitely over half a century old and in Munster Irish. So I wanted to do a Ulster Irish language version of the story of Cúhollán and it didn't exist. So I, I, di- I, I got all the help uh, available to me from different people, from experts and uh, the material itself has become available uh, on the internet. You can access it if you really want to. It takes a little bit of uh, hunting down, but you can access all the ancient texts, not only in their original form, but in straightforward, uh, literal uh, translation which is what I did. And uh, what I wanted to do was tell the story of Cúhollán from his conception to his uh, death. And that definitely didn't exist because before the version that I put together, you really would have had to uh, take out sections from other stories and then uh, put them together to get uh, the story of Cúhollán's life. So Leach na Leachra, it, it came out in 2015. It took about five years of uh, study and research and writing and finessing and correcting. And I was so pleased with that book because it really is a beautiful art book. And a lot of effort went into making the stories accessible to uh, 
those who have a, a good level of fluency in Ulster Irish, but it's really standard Irish. And uh, so when we had that done, it just became so obvious that it should be done in English. And then in 2017, we put together uh, Cú Ulster's Greatest Hero, and uh, it was very well received. In fact, the Irish Times listed it in the top five uh, Irish language books of 2017, even though it was written in English, because there's so much Irish language in the glossaries that accompany the book at the end. And uh, so when we got those two books done, Donna, uh, we decided that it would be uh, of great benefit to do a, 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 an even more accessible version for uh, younger readers t- around the teenage age bracket and learners of Irish. So we then did a third version, uh, which is uh, it's more accessible. I suppose it's simpler. Irish, but no less colourful, uh, and that was the third version. And um, you know, what, what, once you once you do, uh, once you create a book, all sorts of other things uh, happen, like book launches, like mm-hmm. being invited to uh, speak here and there. And I have been invited to speak uh, in a, a whole host of uh, locations in America That's twice. That's and such an achievement, yeah, it really and, is. And the interest over there is uh, surprising and uh, Sometimes the interest, the international interest in our uh, native uh, mythology is greater than here in Ireland. Maybe we're too comfortable (laughs) with what is on our doorstep. Well, I must put a a link on my website to people who who want to buy the book and find out more about it. Raymond, I'll put a wee link on the website to that so that they can um, find out how they can order it online even. I am. So, uh, well, when you were writing the book and before publication, then you worked closely with Dara Valley, artist, musician, Arma Reimer. Uh, I know it would have been a fantastic partnership of two very talented local people, yourself and Dara. Can you tell us what it was like collaborating with such a gifted man? Well, thanks for saying that, uh, Donna, about uh, myself and... Dara and yes he is a very gifted individual Dara knows things about Arma that nobody else knows to go for a spin uh, around uh, the historical sites of Arma with Dara Vallely is an education and he is a very talented man he's a very intelligent man a very knowledgeable man and a gifted artist as you say was it easy working with Dara? Well, it was challenging and it was never dull. Uh, you know, I asked Dara to produce images for the book a year 
before he came back to me and and said that he wanted to do it. And when he came back to me, he wanted to do all the images um, almost in one night. And he had an amazing way of working. He he used old fashioned projectors with transparencies and he was overlaying one image with another image and building up a, a composite uh, and very striking uh, set of images for the book. And yes, it was wonderful working with Dara. But it will surprise some of your listeners to know that I really just gave Dara headings. We didn't discuss in any uh, fine detail what would be expected. And, and that's a good thing. And the results are always surprising. And definitely people will say that Dara's paintings really and truly match the the, the grand scale of the stories connected with Kuholan and Dara had been to Africa shortly before he undertook to uh, do the paintings for my books and his books his paintings are very tribal they're really there's something very African about them and that's appropriate really really suits and then for the third book, which I mentioned, which would be a, 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 a more simplified version, well, Dara had been to China mm-hmm. before that book, and he did a whole separate set of uh, images for that book. And yes, you could tell by looking at them that they're very Chinese and they're red and black. Uh, very much the colours of China and the characters have uh, are like uh, Chinese warriors. So it was it was uh, it was an amazing uh, journey uh, with Dara and and uh, pulling the, the, these books together. And uh, I, I did say it was challenging, but I mean that in the best possible way because uh, Dara's mind is is phenomenal, really, the way it works. And it definitely works uh, uh, in an artistic way rather than in a linear or logic way. And uh, he, he did... Uh, he must have done weeks and weeks of work on all the artistic uh, reproductions uh, for the various books. And I believe Dara is putting the final touches to an art book of his own, which contain uh, the paintings that uh, went into uh, the three books that uh, we publish with Gail in. And and the thing about it is that, uh, you know, again, once those paintings were committed to canvas, well, then other doors opened up. Mm-hmm. Exhibitions in places like uh, the the, Bel- the Ulster Museum in Belfast and, and a whole host of other uh, 
exhibitions on various scales uh, throughout uh, the country and so it, it has been a wonderful journey and it's 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 not over yet well that's good, good to hear well I'll have to get a look I haven't seen the third book your third book yet and I'll be looking forward to Dara's book coming out as well Raymond um, also Raymond I've had the pleasure of attending flash fiction on many occasions which you create with another local author, Betty Lee. So how did you get to know Betty and how did you get involved in this wonderful event? It's, it's an event that I absolutely love and I know you've nearly everybody goes to it. Can't wait to the, the next one coming out. It's, it's fabulous to have that here in the heart of Armagh. Well, like many... Uh, eventualities in my own life they uh, uh, happened because of a chance meeting or a decision to uh, go somewhere when I might have taken another course of action I would have maybe known other members of Biddy's family and I really didn't know Biddy at all until she came back to live in Armagh City from California where she had been and before that Biddy was uh, teaching up in Belfast so I know her very well now and uh, Karja Cho who run the shop here in Ainachwaha about four years ago or so uh, they had their Christmas fair, if you like, and who walked into that uh, event? Probably uh, on, on uh, one of the Thursdays early in December, about four years ago, only Biddy. And we got talking about uh, writing and we got talking about publishing and Biddy told me that she was, uh, was publishing her own uh work and she told me about how she and friends had organised flash fiction in uh, Silicon Valley I believe in, in California and it was a and, and Betty has been the driving force behind flash fiction and she's the main organiser and she consults with me uh, just uh, to share her ideas with somebody a sort of a sounding board I do take care of the Irish language material and that's uh, wonderful that uh, flash fiction is bilingual and uh, we've had many many Events and like the other uh, parts of this interview, flash fiction has developed a life of its own. We started off trying it for one event, and then we now have uh, two volumes of flash fiction Arma yes. published and available to purchase uh, on Amazon, for example. And we've had many, many events and launch events. We've uh, 
we, we've uh, even gone on tour around the locality to a variety of venues uh, like the Armagh County Museum mm-hmm. and we yes yeah, so was that that one that was a that was a brilliant night yeah so we've, and we, the orchard you've been into the, the orchards orchard, Longmeadow yeah. and Armagh Cider Company yeah. so it's really atmospheric when it's there as well yeah and they're always uh, great events and we always get a lot of submissions and we try to bring in uh, to give new writers or new spoken word performers uh, the chance. It's worth saying that some of our early flash fiction ARMA participants have gone on to become uh, celebrated authors and also uh, keenly sought after uh, spoken word performers. Uh, There's a host of them. And again, one might ask, would that have happened had Biddy and I not met yeah, at the Christmas not. fair? So, you know, you, we all should be alert to the possibilities of uh, seemingly everyday uh, meetings or occurrences. Uh, I know that has been the case with with my own uh, journey. Right, well, um, the, uh, the home of flash fiction, probably you would say it would be Mulberry, just stone's throw from here as well so I'm looking forward to when you're organising the next one Raymond I'll be at it for sure Uh, well writing aside you are a keen supporter of GAA and you were involved in the Armagh County Board and travelled the length and breadth of the country going to matches so did you always do that did you always go to matches far and wide from a young age Raymond I did, you know. I used to go to, uh, particularly when Arma was playing, and when I was a young boy, Cross McGlen, my my native town. Well, they were always a strong team, but they weren't nearly as strong as they are now. They seem to have been very strong in the nineteen fifties, and went into a wee bit of a lull, and now they're uh, arguably one of the best uh, clubs in the country if not the best and I played for Cross McGlen Rangers on up until under 16 right, I but didn't know that. sadly Donna I got interested in other uh, less healthy less sporting uh, occupations and then I went to college in Belfast so I I, I, I lost uh, contact with the GAA for uh, I suppose it could have been over a decade and but then eventually I, I got back I always did score by the way I always represented Cross McGlen Rangers uh, whenever asked on the quiz team and also a little bit in score uh, and but it was when when I moved to Armagh, well then I was living quite close to the athletic grounds and I was railroaded into <laughs> being a member of the Irish Language and Cultural Committee and we were a, a very enthusiastic uh, committee under Peter Murphy at the time and uh, do you know something 
shortly, about two years after getting involved in that committee, uh, an opening came up for the PRO, the Public Relations Officer at county level in Armagh, and they seemed to have a bit of difficulty getting somebody to take on that onerous task and I thought I'd give it a go for a year and I ended up doing it for two years and I learned a lot. I don't think I would have published any books had I not been publishing uh, match programs again and again which are a bit like a a publication and also the yearbook which was a a phenomenal undertaking Uh, but I had a good good people good people working along with me uh, like Kieran O'Mwilline for example but I would point out that uh, being the PRO of a county board you will uh, c- be confronted with every eventuality it's a it's a, <laughs> it's such, a job in itself it's I mean. a complex yeah. role but you learn a great deal you learn a great deal and then I could no, I couldn't I couldn't do that role and uh, my other uh, work so I was then moved to the post of Irish and cultural officer and I did that for two years and that is also a challenging role because you're in, in, involved in score and also the promotion of the Irish language which as we said at the start of the interview it's increasing and increasing and it's all good and, and I was in that role for, for two years and you get huge opportunities when you're involved in one of the largest uh, community and sporting organisations in Europe, uh, which the GA is. Uh, So you'd end up uh, being asked maybe to represent your county at a conference or, which happened a lot, uh, doing the announcements at at the matches. And these are all challenging uh, tasks which you, you end up improving your own skill set in doing them. And then after being Irish officer or Irish and cultural officer for a couple of years, I, I, I stood for the children's officer, as it was known, and I did that for three years. So that also set me on a, an amazing uh, learning uh, curve. I met some great people and we were involved in dealing with many, many issues uh, because a large percentage of the members of the GAA are younger. Uh, so there, there are many, many issues and uh, I, in that role it helped me uh, with my own work with Galen and uh, anyway the the GA is one of the best organisations and there's always uh, advice and assistance available at county level or at provincial level or national level but I suppose I was lucky enough to be invited 
by the president of the GAA to represent my county on the National Committee for the Irish Language. And I did that for six years and that was wonderful. The meetings took place in Croke Park. Again, getting the opportunity to meet with uh, highly dynamic individuals from other counties. And uh, I, I, because now I'm, I'm very busy uh, with Aenach Waha and with Galen and, and a whole host of other uh, uh, aspects of my life, I don't get to the athletic grounds as much as I used to. I used to uh, sell the programmes and the half-time draw tickets with Eugene mm-hmm. O'Reilly and uh, Malachy Hughes and end up spending, you know, maybe five hours per week at the athletic grounds. And I, I really enjoyed that and the crack was mighty, but uh, I just... Find that my schedule is too busy yeah, now. We spent, we spent a lot of years and, and hours, and it is. I suppose I should have outlined it. The when I asked you this, I, I'm conscious we may have listeners from um, further afield who might not know what GA is, and it's the Gaelic Athletic Association. And I'm also aware from living here as a Tyrone person, <laughs> living in Armagh, we have a lot of newcomers, newcomer families from other countries who are now members of the GAA and fantastic members and are welcomed with open arms and really are encouraged and uh, I, I think that's a fantastic thing to see, I really do. Isn't it's it just? Brilliant. Yeah, because we're for for too long. We've been talking about the two traditions in in Ireland and in Ulster and here in Northern Ireland. But really, we're we're now uh, multicultural, as you say, Donna. Oh, and it's great to see them being involved Isn't at that local just? level. Well, outside of work, what would you enjoy doing in your spare time, Raymond? I you probably don't have very much spare time to be honest with you I, know, and I, I well do you know something I don't watch any television sometimes when I'm staying with my mother on a Monday night uh, which is great I love doing that we watch a bit of television together but that's one way I, I save a lot of time <laughs> uh, not watching uh, the news uh, repeatedly in, in, in case it might change or soaps, for example. I, I, I do a fair bit of reading and I, I, I actually read a lot by listening to audiobooks. Oh, I love audiobooks too. Yeah, and I do that when I'm out uh, in the car for work or when I'm out walking with my uh, well I, I have one dog Satanta and another dog uh, Bobby came to visit Satanta two years ago and stayed yeah so, I met you out walking yeah. the dogs out by Milford there so I wouldn't say I have two dogs but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I go out walking every day and sometimes twice a day if I can 
and I listen to my audio books when when I'm out with the two dogs and I, that's one thing I really for some reason the 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 more uh, the muckier they get uh, the, the the happier they are and for yeah. some reason with all uh, the, the the noise because I wouldn't wear headphones you know I sort of listen to it on the speaker uh, and I find that I'm still able to hear the birds yes you want the, you want to sort of be in the place and, and as you say hear the birds and the sound of nature um, yeah. it's good for the mind Raymond, so yeah it? so what so definitely audiobooks reading and walking with my hounds uh, even though one of them's not mine and uh, I suppose I I like to take photographs and I have a very very good camera but you know something I don't take it out as much now because the camera on, yeah, the, on phone, the phone I think we're is, all guilty of that yeah it, it's nearly as good now and if I can I would like to go to the theatre uh, in the Lyric or in the Abbey up in Dublin and occasionally to the cinema as well yeah, it's great, great to see all those places opened again. Um, so, um, well, we've talked a lot about Ireland. So what is your favourite county in Ireland? Do you have one? Apart from Armagh, of course. You know, there are a few obvious answers uh, to that question, Armagh, as you say. Um, the people, my people on my father's side come from Louth, the wee county and I don't know what it is but when I'm driving through Louth I get a, a sense of being at home you're in touch and, with your roots there yeah I think so there's something uh, happening and it also it's uh, it's very much associated with the cattle raid of Cooley and Cúhollin uh, uh, so I get a, an additional connection with uh, the plains of Morhevnia for example so there's something telling me that uh, Louth uh, which is a neighbouring county to Armagh uh, might be my, my favourite uh, other county but do you know something is there a county in Ireland that isn't uh, lovely? And it's such a it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful country, one of the best in yeah, the world, yeah. they say, That's for right. people to live and to raise children. Uh, so, can I say County Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough, Raymond. And thank you so much for talking to me on a Friday afternoon in, in Armagh in December. And I. I know I'll see you probably before Christmas and Absolutely. look forward to working on new projects with you in 2022. I'll be here tomorrow with my Unearthing Macha tour and um, it's uh, that'll be the third one. So hoping to do one every month next year. Great. Thank you very much for asking me, Donna, and I enjoyed it. Thank you, Rian. Gormaiagat. Gormaiagat hain. I hope you enjoyed listening in. I always enjoy meeting Raymond and it was great to hear that he's still planning plenty of exciting projects for the future. I hope you enjoyed listening in today. If you did, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google and the usual podcast channels. As well as thanking my guests, I would like to thank Connell and Marianne McBride 
for creating the music for this series. If you have any ideas for a podcast, please do get in touch. I look forward to welcoming you to Armagh in reality or on the next audio journey.